Okay then, well, let's just get into it. I want to just, I have the Lord just putting something in my heart just for a little bit. The Lord is my banner. I'll develop it, I think, probably over a couple of Sundays. Today we want to get into it and start on it. I just got so excited this morning. Oh, I got so excited. Just beside myself. And uh, went to bed last night not knowing what we do, but this morning it was different. And uh, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 6, 6, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 16 and 17, there was an encounter between Elisha and the army of the Syrians. And the circumstances naturally were overwhelming. There was a huge army, one man and his helper. An overwhelming natural circumstance. You might be in an overwhelming natural circumstance, financially, physical health, uh, family, uh, some kind of area of your life. Whatever that is, then, then in this situation, uh, this, is what the, this is what Elisha said. He said to the young man, don't be afraid. We're not to be afraid. You read the news and hear what's happening in the world, it's easy to get afraid. Don't be afraid. It says in the end times, lots of people will have heart attacks because they're afraid. And God always says to us, fear not, for I am with you. Well, fear not, for the living God, the source of all, is with us. And if God be for us, who and what can be against us? You're destined to win. You've got to get that into your spirit. I'm destined to win. Did not God did not put me on this earth to fail. He's put me here to win and to advance his cause, represent him well, and finish strongly. That's truth. And so this is what Elisha said, Lord, I pray. Prayer is a crucial part of getting divine perspective and seeing things properly. If you look at the TV and the news, you'll get a perspective. But when you pray and you connect with God, then you see differently. And he said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. Give him spiritual vision. Give him heaven's perspective. If you're going to face the affairs of life, you may be overwhelmed initially and feel a little afraid, but you need to get heaven's perspective. You need to get the high ground. In a warfare, the one who's got the high ground inevitably wins. You get the command of the air, afterwards you win. So you've got to get God's, so he said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. See what? See that there be more that are with us, more angels, more of the resources of God than be with them, more angels than demons assigned against us. So we need to see, and God opened his eyes, he saw all the angels, didn't see the demon, just saw, he saw heaven's resources, the angels of God ready to help them out to win the battle. And says, what we've got to have is a heaven's perspective. You may have a terrible difficulty with a child. Get heaven's perspective on how to deal with the issue. Don't go listening to secular counselors who don't counsel right. Get God's wisdom, God's perspective on it. Get some hope and faith and begin to do what God says to do. And so we, we need our spiritual eyes open because we're in a spiritual war. So the reason people don't come to Christ is twofold. One, their eyes are blinded by spiritual powers. Two, the church doesn't arise and deal with them and speak the gospel boldly. And so God entrusts us with a mission, and that mission involves a great commission, go in and change communities. Go in and change nations one person at a time. That's our mandate. wasn't a great suggestion. It wasn't 
Jesus didn't say, well, look, just give your heart to me. Have a come to church on Sunday. Do whatever you want the rest of the time. He said, nope. He said, I've called you to represent me. I've called you to go into communities worldwide and to change nations one by one, salvation by salvation, family by family, community by community, until you change what is to what could be. That's what, and that involves a conflict against spiritual beings. So we want to have a look at this conflict and the nature of it. I want you to have a look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I need to move because I i got some good stuff I want to share with you here. So I'm going to give you some bullet points in this. It'll really help. And I want you just to be challenged in your thinking. For years, the church of Jesus Christ has been a hospital. Now, there is an aspect where this is a part of the gospel, to proclaim Christ to people and heal the brokenhearted and bring deliverance. That is a part of the gospel. But you have to understand that the next part of it is that people get vision for what their life is called to be and could be and become empowered to actually go and make a difference. So that means, first of all, God gets us into a hospital environment where we get our wounds healed and so on. Then he connects us to family and family relationships so we become the family of God. And then he says, but don't just sit there cruisy enjoying family life and being hugged and loved and having a wonderful time and all the wonderful meetings. He said, it's time to arise and become an army. Army's different to a family. Family, there's responsibilities, there's functions, there's areas where we connect. And there is a, a bonds of love holders together. When you become an army now, you're bound together by commitment to a common purpose. And so read what t- Paul says to Timothy. Thou, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. Be therefore, uh, you therefore, now look at this, must endure Hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangled himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. Now notice here's the first thing. You are enlisted by Jesus Christ himself as a soldier. When you said yes to Jesus, you were saying no to the devil and taking the side of the kingdom of God Immediately, that puts you against the kingdom of darkness. So, you are enlisted by Jesus Christ to become part of an army. You are enlisted. That word chosen is the word strata logio, meaning you have a word to strategically place you. That's why God puts us into a local church. And, and, and notice this, that what that means is that uh, we have to engage in what God is on about. Now, there is a battle. What, what is it that we are fighting for? It's quite helpful to know that. What is at stake in this war? Let me share with you three things briefly that are at stake. Number one, your personal freedom. There is no man stays free in the liberty in Christ unless you fight for it. You have to stand up or you go back into bondage. There is no middle ground in this battle. If you're in a place of apathy, depression, you are in a place of defeat. If you are in a place where you're locked into bad habits, you're in a place of defeat. And what is at stake is your freedom and living the life God intended you to live. Joy, peace, life, vitality, energy, Holy Ghost dimensions. That's what's at stake for you. 
But believe me, it isn't enough just to be in a good church. You've got to make a stand and claim that and hold that and walk in that. You may go to a freedom retreat and get delivered, a restoration retreat and get healed, but you've got to hold your ground and advance. So one thing at stake is your freedom. Second thing at stake in this battle are promises that God has for your life. The Bible abounds in things God has planned for you, things for your marriage, for your family, for your finances. Many things God has planned and has designed that will cause you to prosper and go forward, but you must fight for them. They will not just drop into your lap. They are promises won by a battle at Calvary that you have to arise and fight the fight of faith to make them your own. And the third thing that's at stake is the welfare of our community. Don't blame the government and anywhere else. The church is responsible for the spiritual environment of a community. And when the church arises and fulfills its commission, even the economic uh, standing of a community changes. They said of the apostles, these are the men that turned the world upside down. The people who were trading in idols, they lost their business. People who were trading in pornography and sin and prostitution, alcohol, they lost their business. And new businesses arose. There's a change economically, every kind of way. That's what's at stake. Your freedom, the promises of God for your family and also our community. This is what the battle is about. It's a battle to advance the kingdom of God. And you have been enlisted, soldier. Time to soldier up. Tell someone next to them, soldier up. Okay. Now, there are five positions a soldier can take. So we're all clear, you're a soldier. Okay then. Now, there's five positions a soldier can take. Let me give them from the worst one through to the best one. And uh, then we'll talk to you about some mandates that Paul gave to Timothy. Then I want to get in the Old Testament, show you some keys to win. Let's get moving though. So here's some positions you can take as a soldier. Now, I want you to think about this carefully. I am a soldier. Therefore, I will be in one of these positions. And undoubtedly, you will know someone in one of these positions, if not all of them. So let me explain what they are, and then you have a think about it. Okay, here's the first one. Remember, you are a soldier enlisted by Jesus Christ into a battle to advance the kingdom of God. Therefore, you'll find yourself by choice in one or the, or these positions. Number one uh, is a traitor. A traitor is one who violates loyalty to his king and country and gives up what was entrusted to him to the enemy. Just think about that. A traitor is a person who yields up what was entrusted to him without a fight, hands it over to the enemy. Judas was called also a traitor. What else was he? He was an apostle, but also a traitor. One who delivered over to the enemy something precious entrusted to him. Think about it. Just think about it for a moment. He delivered over what was entrusted to him. Gave it to the enemy. How did he do it? With a kiss of friendship. So on the one hand, he kissed Jesus and acknowledged friendship with him. On the other hand, he sold him out and did not actually fulfill his mandate. 
I wonder how many of the church of Jesus Christ are positioned as traitors to Christ and His cause. You know what they do with traitors in the war? They shoot them. Well, how does that work out in the spiritual war? Oh, simply, you get over, overtaken by demons and you have every manner of trouble and thing beset you and it follows you and your loved ones and everything you do all your life. Okay, here's the second one. A deserter. A deserter is different to a traitor. A deserter is one who abandons his post and does not intend to return. He's not going to betray the country, but he's no intention of returning. He just goes away from his post. He deserts. He should be there, and he's not. He should be at prayer, and he's not. He should be involved, but he's not. He's deserted, given up. There's another one. It's a person who's AWOL, absent without leave. In other words, They should be in a place of serving God somewhere. They should have found their position in the army and they should be serving, but instead they're taken off. Just gone off, doing something else. Down there having lattes, down there doing this, down there doing that. But they're not involved and engaged with Jesus Christ and what He is doing in their city at this hour that they're in. It's all very well to look into the Bible and see what great men did in the past. Wonderful, praise God. But actually, they ran their course. It's us now, 21st century. We've got computers and all kinds of internet. Every kind of challenge, it's our turn. Let's not be absent without leave. There's a fourth category. That is a soldier that is wounded in the battle. That's someone who is wounded and needs support, care, comfort, encouragement. So there are many people like that. And God's design is that you don't live in your problems and in your past, but you obtain for yourself what you need to be healed, restored, delivered, so you can get up again and go back to the battle. So the church definitely has an hospital aspect to it, where people who have actually engaged have gone out and tried to serve the Lord and have found difficulties and pressures and got overwhelmed, can find healing. The church must be a healing community. There's another kind of person there who's a recruit, a recruit. That's a new person in. They've just got on board. They're a new Christian, a young believer. That's not someone who's been around for many years. That's a recruit just came in. They need their hair cut. Need to learn how to stand straight and get up on time. Need to learn how to march, how to carry a weight, how to stick with it, how to persevere, how to aim and shoot a rifle. Learn how to use the word. So recruit. Well, you're a recruit. If you've just got saved, you've come to the Lord. Well, we have a recruitment program and a bit of a training program there. And of course, prayer meetings are always a training program for every person how to stand up in prayer. Finally, we have the other group of people, and this is us, present and engaged. Whoa, present. We're there. We're not somewhere else. When the need is there, we're there. And we're engaged wholeheartedly in what God is doing as a community together as a church. And then when we go out into the community, wherever we are, we're involved. Sometimes we do, we do an outreach every year and uh, we have an outreach at Christmas time and lots of people put their hands up. But then by Christmas, many go AWOL. Where were you when practice came? Oh, I had a bit of a headache. 
Oh, there was a bit of, I was sort of unfeeling well. Soldier up, boy! Turn up! You're part of a team. There's a job to be done. So present and engaged. Present means you're connected with God and hearing His voice. You're engaged in what God is doing. Individually, what He's doing in your life. If you haven't heard the Lord speak to you for a while, you're not engaged. Get engaged. If you've not got something you're working to do, believe, advance, you're not engaging. So every one of us at this time of the year, why we have the prayer and fasting is to get us all present in God and then beginning to engage with fresh goal setting, fresh challenges for the year. So to engage, you must set goals You must look at what you're doing and then lay out what I'm going to accomplish this year. Who will I reach and get saved? Who will I influence for Christ? How will I grow my finances in a time when everyone's saying gloom and doom? How will I grow and increase? You get an idea? Okay, so some positions. Now, this is what Paul said to the soldier. Young soldier, this is what he said. He gave five challenges to an enlisted soldier. I won't develop them too much. I'll move on. But let me just give them to you. Number one. Be strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. This is what you've got to do. Prayer and intimacy are crucial to win. Be strong in grace in Christ. See, the only way you can be strong, that word strong is in dunamai, to be energized with Holy Ghost vitality. You get that out of prayer. Get into praying. Get into praying until you break through. If you don't know how to do it, Get into a prayer meeting. Come to an intercessor's meeting. Come somewhere. Join with someone who can pray and say, teach me to pray. No little wussy prayers. Prayers that are powerful and energize your spirit. That bring heaven to earth. Come on. So that's the number one. We've got to get strong through prayer. Here's the second thing. You need a militant attitude. Verse 3. You must endure hardship as a good soldier. The word soldier is a warrior. Oh, 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 a warrior. You are a warrior, a mighty warrior of God. That's who you are. Oh, I don't feel like it. Listen, how you feel is irrelevant to this. You must agree with what God says. He says, blow in a trumpet, wake up the mighty men. They may be sleeping, but God's saying, sound the alarm, sound the prophetic voice, stir up the mighty men. They don't know they're mighty, but they are mighty. They don't know what they can do, but they can do much. You don't even know all you could do if you woke up uh, and passionately pursued what God has. You are a mighty man of valor. When Gideon was sitting in fear and defeat, the angel of the Lord said, Go in this thy strength, you mighty man of valor. Huh? Huh? Me? Oh, don't think so. I, the angel didn't even argue. God said, you are a mighty man of valor designed for exploits. Rise up. I'm with you. It's God with you makes a difference, isn't it, eh? See? So you know, you've got to get an attitude there, see? See, you're a soldier. And a soldier's got to endure difficulty. So, endure hardship. Now, soldiers don't sleep in nice beds. Soldiers don't sleep in. Soldiers don't always eat the best food. Soldiers actually endure hardship. If you're a soldier, it's a bit hard, you know. So what we want is we want to be couch potatoes, Christian couch potatoes. 
sit in a good, comfortable seat in a nice building and hear great messages and then flick to another channel when we go home. Christian couch potato, getting bigger and fatter and doing nothing to advance the kingdom of God. Whoa. Man, do you know a Christian couch potato? Heaps of them around. So we've got to do something about that. Got to break out of that kind of deal. No couch potatoes. Endure hardship. That means literally face challenges and pressures with a positive faith attitude. Face challenges and pressures with a positive attitude. God is with us. And I know sometimes we have huge things. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Listen, if you feel overwhelmed, then pray until you get back into the presence of God and push that stuff off you and then get God's perspective. Go for the high ground if you're feeling overwhelmed. You've got to get back on the high ground, back in the presence of God. In, in 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Arm yourself with this mind, the same mind Jesus Christ had. Arm yourself. In other words, if you're going to win a victory as a Christian, you've got to get armed. You've got to get armed. You've got to get a gun. You've got to get weapons. There's many weapons God has given us, but one of the weapons is a militant attitude. He says, arm yourself with this mind that as Christ suffered in the flesh, he said, and therefore, if you've suffered in the flesh, you stop sinning. So he says, arm yourself with an attitude, stop sinning, say yes to God. Stop doing your own thing. Say yes to God. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. That's the attitude. Don't compromise any longer. What you did last year that you know wasn't right, stop it. Just stop it. That, because if you don't stop it, you've got no power to win battles. If we're going to win and have an influence as people, we have to have the endorsement of God. And He doesn't endorse people that are sinning and living in compromise. He wants to touch your life and use you more than you realize. Amen? Okay, here's the next one. Be engaged in warfare. No, verse, uh, verse 4, engage in warfare. No one engaging in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. So be present and engaged. That word war means to, involve, to be, to be uh, committed to an apostolic campaign. How about that? And so God is speaking worldwide to the church about the apostolic, about ordinary people being sent with an apostolic anointing that gives breakthroughs and changes in communities. And so he says, he says, no man that wars, no man that commits to an apostolic crusade of entering the community, his neighborhood, his family, wherever he is to change it by the power of God, no man that wars like that is going to get themselves entangled. So you and I are called into a military crusade. You've got to realize that. And he says, so notice the next thing then, simplify your life. No man entangles himself in the affairs of life. To entangle means you, get, you become braided. So if you're going to be effective as a Christian, believe me, I can tell you this after years of serving God, simplify your life. Simplify your life. It's very simple. I love Jesus. I'm devoted to Him. And I have ideas what God wants me to do with my life, and that's what I'm into. Don't get caught up so much with the affairs of life that you lose the high ground of perspective. Primarily, this is my preparation for eternity. I am therefore called to make a difference for Jesus Christ in my life and through my life. And at the end, I'll give account for my life. 
And it's not about scraping into heaven. It's about having a destiny that's eternal, an inheritance that's eternal. Things God has prepared for you, you must qualify yourself for them. Simplify your life. Cut out things that drain away time, energy, finance, and have a simpler life. It's a very, it's a very powerful key. Just simplify your life. And when you do that, you find that you become focused on things that are important. So simplifying your life literally means get rid of things which are unimportant, irrelevant, time wasters, energy wasters, money wasters, and identify the things that are important and just give yourself to them. Just simplify your life. Less complicated. Then you won't have so much stress. <laughs> you have different kind of stress because you're trying to do something for the Lord. That's got its own stresses in it, but however... It's another message. Okay, here we go. And then finally, a Christ-centered life, that he may please him who called him to be a good soldier. So this is a Christ-centered life. To please means you change your priorities so your life brings pleasure to Jesus Christ. You change the way you live your life because your goal is about bringing pleasure to him. Well, he's pleased when you prosper. He, he's pleased when you prosper. So it doesn't mean you don't do well and prosper financially. You need to do that as well. It's not an either or here. But you notice that the core driver in the person's life is, my life is here to please God. Now, let me ask you this question. See, there's, there's, three, there's, three, people you'll be, there's three ways you'll please. You either please yourself and do what you want. Just live to please yourself. I like it, I like it, and I don't like it, I won't do it. I'm living to please myself. The Bible says in the last days, People, lovers of pleasure, just want to do their own thing. Second is you live to please other people. So everything's wrapped up in trying to make your spouse happy, your family happy, everyone around you happy. You're living to try and please people. Listen, if you live to please people, you can't be the servant of the Lord. Or we live to please Him. When you please God, you get favor with people, and sometimes you upset Him as well. So don't live that politically correct life of trying to keep everyone happy. Live to please the Lord. By faith, I can please Him. Without it, I can't. I'm going to live a life that trusts God, that listens to God, that's excited about God, that every day has an adventure with the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes. I get excited. Man, that was a whole message of its own. But I want to go here. There's just some keys and victory. Let's get into Exodus 17. That's where I really want to go. I want to get onto the banner. Boy, I got excited about this bit. Actually, I've been excited about it all. felt very stirred, as you can tell. God's speaking into my spirit. Exodus chapter uh, 17 and verse 8. Exodus 17 verse 8. Now Amalek, then Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose out some men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him. And he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And it was so that when Moses held up his hands... Israel prevailed. Oh, glory. They're winning the battle. When he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Oh, no, we're getting beaten up. Up with a hand. Ah, prevail. Down with a hand. Oh, we're losing. Come on, Moses, get those hands up. His Moses' hands become heavy. Oh, they're going down. Ah, Moses got his hands down. No wonder we're getting beaten. Get those hands up, Moses. So they got two people next to him. Hold his hands up. It's not easy when you have someone hold your hands up and you can't get them down. And so, 
His hands were steady till the going down of the sun all day. Held his hands up for the whole day. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book, recounted in the hearing of Joshua, I will blot out from remembrance Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. Now Amalek was a war-type, warlike kind of people. They lived in the valley. They were the grandchildren or the ascendants of Esau who sold his inheritance. And they came out, notice it says, they attacked, then they attacked Israel. Now, when did they attack Israel? Israel is a picture for us of the church. Amalek is a, is a biblical picture of your old fleshy nature. So, when did Amalek fight? After the rock had been smitten and water flowed out, after they'd got the Holy Ghost, got enlisted in the army, then Amalek came out and said, we can't have these people going forward. We need to stop them entering their inheritance. And so they picked up the tired ones and the weak ones and the straggly ones and the non-committed ones and ones that are hanging out there. They ambushed them. And God said, with this battle, you have to fight. The other battles, God did it all for them. This battle against your old fleshy nature, temptations, the, the pressures of life, you have to engage that fight yourself. And there's some simple strategy. I'll give it to you. Very, very simple. And then I want to show you, and we'll finish up. Here's the, the four keys of the strategy. Number one is faith. If we want to win any battle, our dependency must be on the Lord. The core of our life flow must be we lean upon the Lord. We trust in Him. We trust in Him. That word, and notice he said he called that place, the Lord is my banner. Now in the Bible, a banner was a great big kind of flag sort of thing. It was an ensign, and it was a standard, and it was held up for everyone to see it. It was the rallying point for everyone. And on that banner, they had names or signs or various logos written. And so he's saying that in this battle, the Lord is my banner. It's under the Lord that we stand. It's under His authority we act. We've positioned ourselves and we declare we're operating, surrendered to the Lord and to His purposes. So they lifted up the ensign. Their standard was, the Lord is not my banner. It's under the Lord's name I'm operating and living my life and fighting my battles. I have submitted and positioned myself under the authority of Jesus Christ to listen to Him, act on His behalf as His ambassador. The standard was raised. Wow, the Lord. So you've got to have faith. You've got to surrender. to So that brings to the second part. If you've, got, if you've got real faith in the Lord, it involves yielding to Him, obeying Him, obedience. So notice that Joshua went out and fought. Joshua went out and fought. Now, You've got to think in your own life whether you do get up and do what God says to do. You can get all the keys from preaching, but you have to do something. Joshua got up and he chose to be present and engaged. He got involved. Now, in those days, you really got involved. You had a shield, you had swords and shields and spears, and you ended up face to face with blood going everywhere. If you want to get victory in your life, you've got to get involved. No victory without getting involved. And so, obedience, doing what God says to do is a crucial part of it. Now, the next thing is prayer. Powerful Holy Ghost prayer. You notice that in this battle, 
It could not be won without Moses' intercessory prayer. He lifted up the authority of God. He lifted up the rod of God. And while God's word and God's authority was lifted up, they won. When the authority of God was let down, they lost. Now, the picture in this is very clear. You can't get victory over the things of the flesh and the struggles you have without building a strong prayer life that upholds what God has said and done on your behalf. If I'm going to win, I've got to pray and I've got to speak God's words. I've got to declare what He's done. I've got to engage with Him. If you want to get victories in the community over finance and various kind of areas, you've got to lift up in prayer what God has to say and speak it. And finally, it tells us here that they uh, won the battle. Verse 13, Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The sword in the Bible is always the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 17, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema, the words God has given you. So if you're going to win in the battle, it requires dependency on the Lord, willingness to yield to what His Spirit's saying, a place of prayer, passionate Holy Ghost prayer, and then listening to God's words and speaking them. To use the sword of God's word, you've got to say what God is saying. I can't understand believers being silent because the Bible says, out of your mouth, out of your mouth. That's where the word of God, in Revelations, Jesus got a sword coming out of his mouth. The only way the word of God works is if you speak it and do something with it. We have to learn to speak God's word declare God's Word, proclaim God's Word. You'd be amazed when you do how it upsets people. If it wasn't a sword, it wouldn't upset them, would it? People get pricked when you say the Word of God. But a raimer of God opens hearts. A raimer of God gets into lives. You want to see what's happening in the prophetic evangelism team and the teams going out as they're going out and bringing prophetic flows? Hearts are opening up. Walls break down, hearts open up to receive the gospel. Oh, we can get the victory. Okay, now let me just give you the second uh, example and we'll finish with this. The second example is found out of the Dead Sea Scrolls and particularly the Book of War and the Rules of War. Now, I want to just show you something that they did there and it's identical to what Moses did here in Exodus 17. Now, remember what the keys were. The keys were there had to be faith and that's shown in that scripture they held up the Lord as their banner. The name, the name of the place was, the Lord is my banner. And uh, so it's faith. This is where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a place of being yielded to the Lord and serving Him. Obedience was another one. And then the spears or the uh, prayer and then the Word of God. Now, in the, uh, in, the, in the Dead Sea Scroll, which were discovered after 1948, there was a book there called the Book of War. And in the Book of War, it was a book outlining the strategy how the sons of light would engage and defeat the sons of darkness. So it's a spiritual uh, book. It's a book about spiritual battles being fought. And particularly, it refers to a great conflict just before the coming of Jesus Christ. And it identifies various aspects of military strategy. And the first was, they raised banners. How about that? They raised up banners. One of the banners they had is, the people of God. So they stood up, this is who we are, we're the people of God. 
This is ground you're walking on. This is the air you're breathing. This is world. We are the people of God. You need to know who we are. We're not nobodies. We're the people of God. So they held it up. This is our rallying point. The people of God. And they had, then they had so many banners. They had banners for each of the tribes. Just incredible the banners they had. Let me give you something about the banners. I'll come back in the banners in a moment. Then the second, so raise the banners. That's the faith dimension. You have to stand under the authority of Jesus Christ. Second thing was they blew the trumpets, which means a bang, because the trumpets spoke and they responded to what God said. And we saw the various trumpets and how they blasted. Then the third thing they did was they launched an aerial assault. They launched an aerial assault, which is they use javelins. The shining javelin of the power of God. And they would get in their battle arrays and they'd have all the standards up. Heaps of them. I'll tell you the names on some of them just in a moment. And they would line up in battle array and they had these areas that were called towers. Now it wasn't a high, literally a high tower. It was a tower. It was made up of 300 shields this way, 300 that way, 300 that way. And they were shields all locked together and they had the names of the four angels upon them. And, and then when the trumpets sounded the alarm, the gates of war would open. And what would happen is these, uh, these areas called the towers, the sides would break open and the javelin throwers would come out and they would hurl their javelins seven times. It's a picture for us of intercessory prayer, of the need of the first engagement in warfare is one, I must come under the banner of Jesus Christ. Two, I must listen to what he's saying, the voice of the trumpet, and be willing to obey. Three, I must engage in war. Now, what did they do? They got the javelin and hurled it. You've got to learn how to hurl the Word of God. Hurl God's words into situations. Hurl the promises of God into situations. That's how God's Word works. You speak it. Jesus spoke a word, and someone miles away was delivered of a demon. Jesus spoke a word and a tree died. Jesus spoke, 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 spoke. That's how things are released. You've got to speak the words of God. And then the final thing they would do, the trumpet would sound of massacre and they would advance and engage with the swords and the shields. And it would be all on. And when the enemy started to fall back, then they'd sound the sound of pursuit and they would arise and chase them. And they'd sound the sound of return, and they'd come back singing the praises of God. But this is what you're going to love. I'll finish with this, the banners. Because remember what, uh, what uh, Moses said. He called that place the Lord, our banner. That's who he is. He is the Lord, our standard, the Lord, our banner. Now, let me just give you a couple of things about these banners. First of all, they had many standards. I'll just give you the main ones. The camps of Israel were divided, the army of Israel was divided into four camps. Each camp had three tribes in it. And there were a standard for every tribe, but each camp had its own standard. Now get this, the standard of the first tribe was the lion, the prevailing king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So there were three tribes marched under the standard of the lion, the one that prevails. Then the next, uh, the next group of three, uh, try and get the name of it again. The next group of three, uh, under the, uh, under the tribe of, led by the tribe of Reuben, Reuben, had a picture of a man. And that speaks of Jesus, the Son of Man, serving, pouring out the life of God. It's a picture 
of the anointing of the Holy Spirit outpoured to serve the purposes of God in the earth. The next banners that they had was the picture of an ox. It was on the tribe of Ephraim. The ox, the strength and power and ministry, the one coming to judge. Whoa! See, everything was symbolic. Everything was to make it clear that this is not about us doing our thing. It's about God getting what He wants done on the earth. And then the last one, they had the picture of an eagle, the one that soars in the heaven, which was on the tribe of Dan. Now, isn't this amazing? Notice this, the lion, man, ox, eagle. They are pictures of the spirit beings that Ezekiel saw in heaven. In other words, in going to war in their camps, they're saying, we are invoking the angelic beings that surround our God in heaven to come with us to the battle and bring about a victory. Whoa! Glory to God. There are a lot more, but I don't have to. They actually had on it the, the 12 signs of the zodiac too, but that's another story in which, now, I'll just bypass, give it the two-minute thing. The signs of the zodiac, the 12 of them in a circle, were designed, or they were first were given by revelation to Adam and Seth and Enoch, and they are an outline of the picture of God's plan of salvation starting with Virgo, the virgin who was bruised, ending up with Leo, the lion, the coming conquering king. And every one of those constellations tells the message of salvation. That's another story. Can't go there, but let me just finish with this. I want to just finish with these other standards. I'm going to, you're just going to love it. Take a couple of minutes, and here it is. The standards. Now, the tribes, were, were, the people in the armies were organized into thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and everyone had a standard. Now, get this. The standards of those who had a thousand. Look, look, this is what I had written on it. The wrath of God is kindled against Satan and the men of his company, leaving no remnant. Now, remember, our battles are not against people. It's against spirit beings. The one on the hundreds, from God comes the might of war against all sinful flesh. And the ones with the 50s, the stand of the ungodly is ended by the power of God. The tens, praise be to God on the ten streak halves. So as they would go to war, you can see it's, it's very, it, although there's a natural aspect, there's a strong spiritual aspect. And before they went to war, they would cry out, the priest would cry out a prayer. And I'm going to give you a couple of excerpts. Truly the battle is thine and the power is from thee. It is not in our strength and in our power of our hands that we can accomplish no mighty thing and no mighty deeds except by your power and the might of your valor. How about that? That was the prayer before battle. The multitude of your holy ones is with you in heaven, the host of angels in your holy abode, praising your name. And you have established a community, the church, for yourself, the elect of your people. Look at this now, last two. We will despise kings, spiritual beings, spiritual powers. We will mock and scorn demonic beings, for our Lord is holy. The King of glory is with us, together with the holy ones. Valiant warriors of the angelic hosts are among our numbered ones. The Lord, the host of spirits, is with our foot soldiers and horsemen. Whoa! Rise up, O hero! Lead thy captives, O glorious one, 
Gather up the spoil, O author of mighty deeds. Fill this land with glory and your inheritance with your blessing. Wow, that's how they began their battles. They would begin in prayer. Then they'd raise the standards. The trumpets would sound and people would begin to go to war. Faith, trusting and depending on the Lord. Obedience, listening, responding to his words. Prayer, the javelins, the intercessory prayer, fired out. And then swords going in to engage. God, we can do no mighty thing of our own power, but you are with us. Your mighty ones are in our midst to accomplish great things. Fill this land with your glory and your inheritance, that's us, with your power and blessing. Father, we thank you today for the wonderful privilege to be a part of the army of God. I pray, Father, for the spirit of might to begin to rest upon Bay City. That spirit and anointing that was on David that gave him victory after victory after victory and caused him never to be defeated. That spirit of might that gave him strategies for war and caused him to win great battles. I pray, Father, every believer here will decide in their heart to step up and take their place in your army, to begin to trust you afresh, listen to you afresh, obey you afresh, enter into prayer, and enter into engaging in their destiny and mission. Father, we pray for souls in our community to be saved, not by our might and power, but by your mighty hand doing exploits, releasing your anointing, releasing your angels.